You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I fall on my knees before you. I bow my head, I close my eyes. With both hands, I grip your staff, and I ask you to shepherd the words that will be spoken, that they may accomplish your will and bring glory and honor and praise to your most holy and precious name. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that these things are asked for in this way. Amen. I know you've all seen this before. We see it every day. They're made of metal. They're white. They have black letters, and they have black numbers but it seems like nobody pays attention to them. They're called speed limit signs. We have amended our driving practices going to and from work because it's chaos out there. We refuse to travel 78, 33, 22 unless it is absolutely necessary because if there's one place that nobody even looks at those signs, it's on those routes. So we choose to travel roads the back way, and we try to find roads that are smooth, because another thing that we found out, like on 33 and 78 and 22, you should really not only wear your seatbelt, but a helmet and a mouthpiece, because the roads are terrible. So why we have these speed limit signs up I have no idea because it seems like little or nobody pays attention to them. Well, why do I bring that to your attention? Because to me, it's a simple way of understanding. If we can't obey a speed limit law, what are the chances that we can obey God's law? So what happens with these things as we're in that time now in our life with Christ in the life of the church, where things are beginning to pick up momentum. So last week, we seen that Jesus said, when he was asked by his disciples, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus' response, neither. He was born this way because of the word of God needs to be shown forth. And I love the imagery that is portrayed in that gospel piece because it goes on to say that Jesus took from himself and added it to the dust and made, if you will, clay. Because 
We were fashioned in the image and likeness of God, and God molded us from the dust of the earth. And then he breathed his breath into our nostrils. And when I read that piece of the scripture where it talks about the blind man, I see that Jesus takes the same medium that we were formed out of, and he applies it to the man's eyes, and he finishes the sculpture. The sculpture is done, and then when you finish the sculpture, you cleanse it. And he sends the blind man to the pool of Siloam, the pool of scent, to wash the sculpture, and then he could see. That is the purpose of that, to show the work of God in the presence of the people. But today's gospel shows us a different aspect. Jesus goes on to say that today, in the situation with Lazarus, that God will glorify himself and glorify his son also. That is the purpose of the gospel message for today. So what we have to do is take a look at the interactions that are taking place at this time with our Lord. So between these two Gospels that the pastor read last week and I read this week is that 10th chapter. And in that 10th chapter, it tells us that Jesus is approached. And when Jesus begins to explain to them certain things, they want to stone him. And when he asks them, well, why do you want to stone me? For the works that I have done in the name of God? No, because you claim to be his son. And this gospel for today, remember what Jesus said, this has taken place so that God is glorified and his son is glorified in him. So the interaction with the Jewish ruling body of the day was one where Jesus met opposition. And he then left Judea and went to a more isolated place. And that's where he receives the emergency call from Martha and Mary declaring that their brother is ill. And the encouragement is for Jesus to come but we can begin to see, and it, at first it alarms us when we, say, when we hear Jesus say, well, we'll wait a while before we go. Because he knows what is about to take place and what God is going to show and how God is going to glorify him in the presence of all of these people. So the interaction with the Jewish ruling body is one that is met with opposition, and they plan on putting him to death. They had put out a charge that if you tell us where he is, we will have him arrested. So with this here, Jesus gets the message, and now he needs to have interaction with his disciples because his disciples are not fully understanding what is taking place. So Jesus tells them, well, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, if he's resting, he'll get better. 
and Jesus had to explain to them in more detail. No, it's not a natural sleep that is upon Lazarus, but he has died, and we will go to him so that you may believe in the power and the glory of God. To which the disciples respond, uh, Jesus, do we need to remind you that they were just trying to stone you there? They just tried to put you to death on several occasions, and now you want to go back and stand in their midst? And Jesus recalls them and reminds them of the fact that he is the light of the world, and he needs to go and shine forth the plan and the promise of God in this account. So after waiting a period of time, four days, uh, that's an interesting piece in and of itself and is mentioned twice in this gospel, but we also know that we have limited time. So if you want to talk about what does the fourth day mean, we'll have to talk about it outside the sanctuary, not inside on this day because we would be here a little long. So when Jesus gets there and he's on his way there, he is met by Martha. Martha has heard that Jesus is coming. And she comes and she immediately says, oh my goodness, Lord, if you would have come, my brother would have lived. And you see, what we need to begin to understand what's taking place here is Jesus is effectively showing that the law and the works of the law are curved inside on us. And Jesus is now going to begin to show and demonstrate with absolute clarity that there is a difference between grace and the spirit and works and the law. And you see, Martin Luther says it this way about the works of the law. It's a curvedness. That's the word he uses. Where everything that we do in trying to keep the law, we always want the advantage to fall on our behalf. We do things hoping that we'll gain something from it. And the works of the law then turns things inward and away from God's righteousness. We have to understand from this piece also that when we look at grace and the Spirit, God's righteousness is always right. God's justice is always just. We would have it in our application of the law, which is the flesh, that we would, have, we would like to say to God, well, I think we have a better idea, and I think this would be more right than the righteousness that you have shown. And I think this may be more just than the justice you have shown. And this is exactly the approach that Martha is taking. She was looking at Jesus and adhering to the law, but she wanted the advantage of her brother's well-being and not realizing that what was about to take place was important for all of humanity to understand. So grace 
and the Spirit are now being put forward over the law and its works. So the next interaction that takes place is when Martha runs back and she tells her sister that the teacher is here and he's asking for you. So now Mary goes and meets Jesus. And Mary falls on her knees and she says the same thing as her sister. If only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And we see the same application again, looking for an advantage. But Jesus reminds her also that he is the resurrection and the life. And that if they believe in him, then anything he puts forward is of grace and spirit. And they can know with certainty that God's righteousness and his justice is that which should be sought for. And then we see the compassion of our Lord. The shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus looking upon the situation of his people had such compassion, was so moved because he understood completely from the very beginning of time that this was never supposed to be. God's divine intentions were never for us to die, but to live with him in his eternal presence. But we messed it up. And he was here at that time to correct it and put forth to us the spirit and the grace that God had for us. So, again, we come to this part where Jesus is asked to be taken to the tomb, and he is taken there, and he tells them to remove the stone. And the sister replies, uh, <clears throat> you may not want to do that. There's a bad odor in there. And there's a key piece to that again. That fourth day is important for us to know as Christians. Here's just a brief snippet of that. So after three days, Jesus is raised from the dead. And that would be the fourth day, which is Easter for us. And it has incredible, incredible hope, promise, and implication. So they take away the stone. And again, when God created, how did he create? He spoke. When he spoke, it came to be. And when the stone is rolled away, Jesus spoke. Lazarus, come out. And for the first time, death had to give back because it had no claim over what Jesus had spoken. 
Lazarus was set free from the claim that death had placed upon him. This was to the glory of Christ. This was to show Christ's disciples what God was about to accomplish through his Son for all of humanity. He directs the people to take the grave clothes off of him to set him free because the claim is gone. But one of the things that is also difficult for us to understand as people is in sadness there is joy. And in joy there is sadness. And that is the difference between work and the law. Because work and the law, again, has this curvedness to it. What we do, what we say, how we think, how we react, always has our best interest in mind. But not so with grace and the Spirit. It always has God's best interest in mind, God's advantage. And so we can see from the sadness of Lazarus' death, Jesus was able to see the joy that he would be released and no claim could be put on him. But Jesus was also the only one who could realize at that time that this joy, now seeing Lazarus raised from the dead, would become sadness again. Because that suffering would have to be experienced again. Because Lazarus was not raised to eternal life yet, but back to temporal life. So there is this powerful message that the gospel offers for us today. And after this experience, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are carrying out a plan upon which to put Jesus to death. So as this story ends today, it tells us that Jesus goes to the other side of the Jordan River, to private place to Ephraim, and he awaits the Passover feast. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He shows forth the glory of God and the glory that will be through his son, and then goes and waits. And the next time that Jesus will enter into Judea, we call it Palm Sunday. All of these things are put into place, but for us, law and the work of the law, because let's face it, we can't even obey a speed limit, are no longer required. But grace and the Spirit, and that, is what's going to be put forth at the next service. How we all receive the grace and the spirit that leads us to eternal life. What a powerful piece our Lord has put before us today. The promise of God, his plan is coming to completion to return you and I, to raise us from the dead into his eternal presence.
presence. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.